Good evening. And now, the Inspirational Quarterly. Hello and welcome back to the Inspirational Quarterly, the world's only podcast dedicated to reading, reviewing, and discussing StarCraft Ghost Nova, the 2006 novel by USA Today bestselling author Keith R.A.D. Candido. I'm Davey Reedon, and joining me as always is Kara Ellison. Hello, Kara. Hi! Good to be here. Good to be here. It's a good day to be on the Inspirational Quarterly because we are going to do uh, a little bit something a little different today. We're going to change up the format a little bit. We thought it would be fun to bring a special guest onto the podcast uh, to discuss the book with. Um, so I'm excited to sort of try changing up our uh, our, our episode style here for the first time. Um this is going to be fun because our uh, guest today is actually also a novelist, which I think will be a perfect perspective to offer for uh, analyzing StarCraft Ghost Nova. Um, books that he has written include Dragon Precinct, Star Trek The Next Generation, A Time for War, A Time for Peace, and StarCraft Ghost Nova. Please welcome to the podcast USA Today bestselling author Keith R.A. DeCandido. Thank you very much for having me. I should say it's pronounced DeCandido, by the way. Not DeCandido. De I am okay, so glad. Everybody gets it wrong. It's fine. I am so glad we have you on because <laughs> we have screwed that up more than once. You and everybody we else. We've been it, saying it, that for episodes now. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's like I said, it's, it's, I have been, I have been correcting that misspelling of my name for my entire adult life and a Perfect. lot of my a lot, a lot of my kid life too so yeah it just it's it is this what is, it is i but yes it's pronounced decandido this is going to be the first of dozens of corrections you will be issuing to us <laughs> on this podcast today i think the like main aim of this like podcast is to get you on to make us feel like assholes so you can do your I best i will try very hard not to do that I, no uh, you should so we have a lot of questions for you. Um, I, I, I hope we have some answers. We have some answers. We are on page 146 of StarCraft Ghost Nova. It has taken us about four months to get here. Um, <laughs> we have done a lot of uh, like extrapolating. I would say extrapolating <laughs> is our main talent here. We okay. meandered slightly. Mm -hmm. Um and even just in these 146 pages, there is a lot that we have to to discuss, and that we are very excited to discuss with you. Uh, this is gonna. This is like the, um, you know, the Stark. Uh, excuse me, not Stark. The uh, Simpsons joke where uh, where like the the fans of Itchy and Scratchy go up to the creators and they're like, uh, actually, when Itchy plays on Scratchy's bones, uh, he's playing a C sharp, but the sound produced is a B major. Uh, like there's that like joke from from The Simpsons where they do that, and that's basically what we are gonna. I'm not that person normally. Normally I'm <laughs> normally I'm not that guy, but here today this is like our our first uh, our first my first experience with that. Um, so just to kind of kick kick it off before before I get into the, before we get into the specifics of how Fagan was able to identify that Nova and Clara were related through a traffic sensor, um, let's start maybe a little more big picture than that uh do you <laughs> want to 
just tell us about your your writing background and kind of how you got into writing novels. Uh, well, I, I I was I was raised by a pack of wild librarians um, uh, who who got me reading at a very young age. Um, when when I was able to read on my own, I started reading um, uh, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Earthsea Trilogy by Ursula Le Guin, and uh, Robert Heinlein's Juveniles and uh, P.G. Woodhouse's Jeeves and Worcester stories. So um, uh, I was pretty much doomed. <laughs> what a pedigree. And, uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I started writing when I was six years old. Um, uh, I wrote a book. I wrote a book on, on construction paper called Reflections in My Mirror. Uh, it was terrible. I was six. And um, uh, but I got better. Um, and let's see, in 1989, I started writing nonfiction stuff professionally, uh, reviews and news stories and uh, stuff like that. And the occasional uh, opinion column and, and that sort of thing, uh, as well as some articles for some trade magazines. And then in 1994, uh, I, I wrote a Spider-Man short story, a pro short story that appeared in a, a, a Spider-Man anthology that came out in 94. Uh, my first novel was also a Spider-Man story. It was a Spider-Man novel called Venom's Wrath that I wrote with Jose Arnieto in 1998. Uh, and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, I started writing, I wrote a bunch of, I've written a lot of uh, licensed fiction, like the StarCraft book, uh, in a lot of different universes, more than 30 different universes at this point, uh, from Alien to Zorro, uh, including not just StarCraft, but also World of Warcraft, uh, Star Trek, Supernatural, um, Dungeons and Dragons, Orphan Black, Alien, as I said, um, uh, Doctor Who, Farscape, uh, Andromeda, Resident Evil, and a whole bunch of others. Um, in the case of how I got to writing StarCraft specifically, uh, first I did a World of Warcraft novel. What happened was, uh, I've been writing a lot of Star Trek fiction and, uh, doing some other stuff for Simon and Schuster, and they also had, uh, the license to do Blizzard's, uh, Blizzard's, uh, fiction at the time. And, uh, they thought I would be a good fit to write a World of Warcraft book, so, uh, I took on that assignment to do Cycle of Hatred, um, and they also were putting together the StarCraft Ghost game, the first-person shooter game featuring uh, the ghosts that never actually got released, but we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> uh, and so in 2005, they wanted me to write the prequel to the game. Uh, the idea was it would come out, it would be released simultaneously with the game and, um, uh, and, and do the backstory for Nova, who was the main character in the in the StarCraft Ghost uh, game that, that was going to be released. Due to various and sundry problems, uh, StarCraft Ghost never actually happened. Uh, but they still wanted the book to come out because uh, Nova was still part of the universe. The Ghosts were still part of the universe. It was all, you know, Blizzard is very keen on keeping their storyline consistent and, and together. So they still wanted to do Nova's origin story and still wanted to use the character and some of the other characters in, in the game later on. So I... I went ahead and finished the book. Actually, finished the book before they canceled the game, but they did release it eventually with a little intro by Chris Metzen, who was in charge of, of Blizzard Stories at the time, and uh, just explaining, well, we were going to do this game. It didn't happen, but here's a book anyhow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah I, we, I just reread through that that little introduction bit yeah. there, because uh, we, we do have physical copies of the book, by the way. Yeah. Just... Uh, um, uh, they were they were not, not easy to come by, but we did manage to find them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the book's a few years old now. So, uh, just, the, just uh, for 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 my own edification, what can you 
this was in 2005. Can you put us in the, the mindset of, you know, Keith is a, 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 a novelist at this point. You've put out a few things like, where are you where do you put where are you in your career at that point what what's what kind of like mindset as a novelist are you in in 2005 uh i'm now i was same same as i am now as a a a working writer um you know doing doing stuff and uh at that point i was almost entire almost exclusively a media tie-in writer um my original novel dragon precinct had been published the year before uh that was the only thing I'd done up to that point that I kept the copyright on. Um, but the uh, the imprint that published Dragon Precinct, unfortunately, uh, was discontinued not long after. Um, so the that series was sort of left flapping in the breeze. So I was somebody who was basically still doing a lot of media tie-in work and, and getting it wherever I could. Um, besides, I mean, in 2005 alone, I had um, two Star Trek novels, uh, a Spider-Man novel, another one. Uh, I wrote the novelization of Serenity in 2000 that came out in 2005. Um, and uh, also in 2006, the same year that, that Nova was released, I, that was also when my World of Warcraft novel came out. Uh, and I did a Buffy the Vampire Slayer novel called um, uh, Blackout. Um, and a bunch of short stories here and there as well. Keith, there was... Uh, Keith, with, I, a lot I, of rever- I, with a lot of reverence here, like, how do you have the time to write so many words like i am a writer and the sheer prolific nature of you scares the crap out of me <laughs> like um, how I, do you do it like i guess it's just a, it's a case of sitting down at the computer and just doing it right pretty much it's you know there's, there's a certain amount of, of time management uh which is a skill i only occasionally have um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, putting, putting your, putting your ass in the chair and putting your hands on the keyboard and, uh, just keep putting one word in front of the other until you're done. Um, they're not always good words. They're not always the best words, but that's what revisions are for. Um, you, you, it's, it's just, and, and I write fast, uh, partly due to the fact that I've been doing it for so long. Right. Um, it's, it's the nature of work for hire, right? Like, you know, you have a deadline, you have to meet it yeah. if you want to get paid and you just... And, and in the case of Nova, that was on a very tight deadline because we still thought we were tying into a game release. So uh, originally the book was supposed to come out in April of 2006. And I wound up having to spend a lot of uh, a planned vacation writing this book. Um, oh, these and, assholes, man. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nature of it. Um, that was when the you know, I, I, the alternative was to say no to the assignment, and I didn't want to do that. Right. Um, the uh, I, I so I actually wrote this book in three different countries, <laughs> uh, and and several different locations in each of those countries. Um, I wrote you know some of it in New York, which is where I'm where I live. Uh, some of it in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, some of it in Dublin, Ireland, uh, including a large chunk of it I wrote in a pub in Marion Square, which is uh, actually I dedicated the book to that pub because uh, I wrote about two thirds of the book in that pub. Um, oh, is that why the Yates quotes? Uh, well, I, no, the Yates quotes were because I'm a big fan of Yates. That uh, I, those would have been oh, there. This is I, a mystery that we've we've cleared up already. Of where I had, even if I hadn't written any of the book in uh, in, in Ireland, I still probably would have used the Yates quotes just because I'm a big Yates fan. Um, 
and and I thought they were appropriate in this case. Um, the uh, but I but in addition to Dublin, I also wrote a bit of it in uh, in County Wicklow, visiting friends out there in the country. Uh, on 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 plane trips to and from those various places, on a lengthy train ride from New York to Atlanta, and then in Atlanta where I went for DragonCon that year. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, that, that, I wrote that book in a lot of different places. <laughs> our, our email exchange uh, began with you uh, uh, disclaiming that this happened a long time ago, and you may not be remember all the details. And we've just gotten the specifics of each leg of your vacation from 15 years ago. So I'm not too worried right now about your memory. I gotta say, oh, we'll, um, we'll see what happens. I, I talk, well, having said that, I totally forgot that I used Yates quotes. So. <laughs> but you remember oh, but you remembered so all the, you remember all the pubs Keith. yeah Keith we're going to take you on a trip down memory lane I'm so excited <laughs> um, just real real quick can you tell us about like what kind of directives Blizzard gave you and what specifics they if you to the best of your memory the things that they told you here's what needs to be in the book and then here's what you get your own creative license on Um, about I'd say half to two thirds of the plot was already spelled out for me. Um, the, the, the basics of how Nova first, Nova's powers first manifested. Um, and the fact that she was recruited, uh, to the ghost program. Um, and that, uh, that, that part of it, like, you know, the, the, the that she was part, one of the noble families of Tarsonis. um, all that was 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 already provided for me as as her backstory. Um, the details of what happened to her between when she when her powers basically exploded and she killed all the people trying to kill her family and her family, um, and when she was recruited to the Ghost Program, that I was given a bit more free reign on. Um, so the whole thing with her in 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 the gutter uh, and and being recruited by Fagan. Uh, and being used uh, as as a weapon by the criminal element uh, of the of the yuckier parts of Tarasonis, uh that I, that I came up with on my own. Um, but again, it was all with uh, Blizzard's blessing and going and you know getting it approved by them first. But uh, so I'd say you know it was about uh, about half and a half maybe. Um, so so how much approval did they have to give? Did you have to write an outline first and then get that approved? Yeah, that that's true of every licensed book. Um, you you they, like I said, they gave me the the basics of what needed to be in the book. Uh, beyond that, um, uh, it was uh, I still had to write an outline for the that uh, um, described the the entirety of the thing simply because. Um, they, uh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, the, 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 the parts I filled in, I, I still had to give them that. Um, so that, so yeah, I still had to give them an outline. Um, one, one thing that we, we've been sort of curious about is that, so obviously at the time this was being written, the, the intention was that it was going to tie into the video game and correct. the video game, you know, not to put it too, too blunt of a, a point on it. This is a, 2005 era video game um not a time of considerable nuance in the storytelling of most AAA video games um 
you know, this is like uh, running around blowing up aliens with your mind kind of video game, right? Um, and uh, sorry, more or less, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, well, we're, we're blowing them up with the very large gun you're carrying around, one or the other. You know, your mind, the gun, aliens are blowing up whichever mm -hmm. the route you take. There, mm -hmm. all roads lead to the aliens being blown up, and mm -hmm. uh, so we've been sort of curious. Um, we've noticed throughout the book that Nova as a character is um, not maybe the most, uh, her, her, her character arc has a lot to do with her being uh, used by everyone around her. And as such, she's not exactly the, the she's not exactly the most, uh, uh, she doesn't have the most agency of of any character of of maybe a, of a lot of characters that that we've encountered even just in this book, and we always kind of wondered as this has been happening as as we go through the book we've been wondering like was there a a, a an intention to just funnel Nova into this game in a way that was in the way that created the least friction for her to just be a blow a vessel for blowing up aliens uh was there a need to keep her personality from getting too all over the place in a way that would conflict with that very specific video game need or are we misinterpreting it there um probably the out-of-the-box explanation for why the ghosts have their memories erased was in order to make them useful uh first-person shooter game <laughs> um characters um but i mean that that was that was baked into the into the backstory of the ghosts is that they have their memories wiped and okay. so we're not actually at I, the point where nova's had her memories wiped right but that's where she had to end up that's where she right. ends up okay. in the book is is um uh, once once she's fully accepted into the ghost program they're going to wipe her memories it was and I honestly don't remember who was that, whether it was my idea, Chris Benson's idea, or if it was something he and I discussed together. But um, we wanted the story to be such that she wanted to have her memories erased. That it wasn't just that she was going, that, that there's a limited to the amount of agency she could have, but at the very least, we wanted it. Either we or I, and like I said, I don't now remember whose idea it was originally, but they were, they were. Blizzard was perfectly okay with it, that what she went through was sufficiently horrible that getting her memories erased was actually a good thing from her perspective. Uh, oh, so it's uh, like okay. things are happening to her rather than her. Well, and, also th and things she did. I mean, you know, yeah. she killed an entire building full of people and then got used by Fagan to do even more horrible things. Right. And she, she really doesn't have any great desire to remember any of that. Um, right. And she's been told that, hey, you can not feel this agony anymore sign me up um yeah so that I, I i didn't want her to just be a complete victim i guess uh i mean she still is obviously but so is everybody else living under the terran dominion um so so yeah that we we yes it did also have the benefit of turning her into a tabula rasa that's easy for the for the game player to then manipulate um mm -hmm. But that's also part. But it's also part of the story and part of what shows uh, that what, how the ghosts are being used uh, by the Dominion and by Man Mansk. 
How, uh, how, how much of that was the end point that you had to figure out how to work up to was like, okay, like, did it, did it start more from, we need like Nova as a person, we need her to get to a place where she wants to have her memories wiped, or was it, here are these big plot set pieces, let's figure out a character arc that fits into that? Uh, more the latter, um, but it was still pretty collaborative. Um, it was so, it was, it was, um. You know, I, I, like I said, I don't remember whose idea it was, but the, all what, what we started with was just the basic plot points, um, and then you know we worked out the story from there. Um, so uh, I, I think I, it, and again, this yeah, fifteen year old memories here, but um, more or less we were we were trying to uh, provide an interesting character story for her to go on that would lead her to the point. Where, where she would be accepted into the ghost program as somebody with her memories erased. Are there any characters in the book that managed, apart from Nova, that managed to appear in the game? Can you tell us? I honestly don't know. And that's that's due to not having really paid that much attention to StarCraft. Right. Um, okay. You know, I did, I did the novel. I did one issue of the Ghost Academy uh miniseries and then uh they they decided to go with other people there was there was a change chris metzen left blizzard and the people who took over from him and i we didn't uh gel as well um and so they decided to go with different uh different people the name um, nate kenyon came up in our in our research yeah yeah nate, nate was brought in to do uh specters uh originally i was going to do specters and then and then uh they decided to go with nate instead um but uh I don't know. I mean, I know some of the characters were like Gabriel Tosh uh, was uh, a character I was given. Um, he was already part of the uh, the game backstory. Um, others, uh, ones I created, Kath Toom I created, uh, and uh, a few others that were in uh, Ghost Academy uh, and also appeared in um, uh, in in various other uh, things. Uh, so speaking, I. Speak Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just but and and I and I also created the character of uh, Malcolm Kalerchin. Um, I don't know honestly. <gasps> He's our that... favorite. <laughs> uh, He's one yeah, of our favorites. Because, because we have a selection of favorites. One one of one of the reasons why I wanted the person hunt the person who was hunting and tracking down Nova, I wanted to give him uh, make him an interesting character just because there were limits as to what I could do to Nova, because Nova was basically the story's punching bag in a lot of ways. Um, she. Uh, you know, all all the crap happens to her. <laughs> um, so I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted to create an interesting character. You know, somebody. Uh, the, the, a lot of the template for what I was using for that character was uh, Tommy Lee Jones's uh, Marshall Sam Gerard in the in the movie The Fugitive. Um, I was so guessing maybe... that. I also got a little bit of Firefly Malcolm. I don't know if that's deliberate or not. Eh, might have been. I, my, I certainly did give him the same first name, and I had, I had recently done the Serenity novelization, so that that character, I had been in that character's head relatively recently. A thing we've noticed from looking around at a couple of the pieces you've published is a a, a strong through line of kind of like pulp detective characters. <laughs> is what what is that a thing? Can we? Where where does that come from? Um, I don't I don't know if they're pulp detectives. I I'm I'm big I, I'm I'm a big fan of police procedurals and I'm a big fan of writing detectives. Um, 
my 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 Dragon Precinct series is is detectives in a in an epic fantasy setting. Um, I've I've written police procedure stuff into several of my tie-in novels, including one of my supernatural novels, both of my Spider-Man novels, one of my Buffy novels. Um, uh, and, and for that matter, I've written actual straight up police procedurals, including a CSI New York book. Um, my super city cop series is cops in a city filled with superheroes. Um, I, I, I like writing detectives. I always have. Um, so yeah, that, and, and, and color tune definitely is in the same vein. Uh, as somebody who's, you know, trying to track, in this case, trying to track somebody down. Um, the investigative, the investigative process is something I enjoy writing, um, as well as the, the, the deductive process and the interrogation process. That's all stuff that I enjoy particularly writing. So yeah, some of that, a lot of that came out in, in, in that character. Is that because, because when we, when we imagine here, you know, Blizzard says, all right, Keith, we're, 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 uh, let's, let's flesh out the StarCraft ghost world a little bit here. How, you know, not having, not having read some of these other time works that you've done, uh, how, how instinctive for you is it to, to say, well, I guess, uh, I guess a detective procedural is going to go in here, you know, like how conveniently does that slot into these different, uh, in, into maybe any of these different tie-ins versus StarCraft Go specifically being like, no, this one specifically needs a detective procedural. Not all of them do. I mean, I've written plenty of tie-in books that don't have any cops in them at all. Uh, in this case, you know, there had to be somebody who was... Basically, the, the, the story they gave me wasn't enough for a novel. I needed there to be... Uh, I needed there to be a part where Nova basically was missing and had to be found. Um, and... Uh, and, and, and that was at least partly to give her even more reason to want to be uh, part of the ghost program. Uh, and also I wanted to show the inequity of life. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we, we established, it was established as part of the story going in that, that uh, Nova was part of one of the, um, one of the, one of the wealthy families of Tarsonis. And, uh, and when, when the alien invasions were happening, a lot of the wealthy people were being brought um, off world. But, you know, if there's wealthy people, that also stands to reason that there's poor people. Um, and I wanted to show the, the less pleasant parts of life on Tarsonis, um, you know, the, the, the less fortunate, the less rich, and what, what their life is like also. Um, had, had anyone done that in StarCraft before? Not this? to my knowledge, no. Yeah, um, yeah because there's so many that was part of what I wanted. I, I'm always interested in what life is like for the ordinary person. Um, you know, it's all well and good. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I particularly liked several of the recent Star Wars movies, in particular ones uh, like uh, Rogue One and and parts of The Last Jedi and and uh, and Solo, for that matter, which, which showed what life is actually like for the ordinary person in the galaxy far, far away, not the grand heroic quests and the great epic battles against uh, evil empires, but what it's like for an everyday person. You know, and, yeah. and it's it's something I also uh, that that the the Mandalorian and the Clone Wars and the Rebels series have done really well too, um, and that's that's of more interest to me. Um, you know, what is what is it what is it like for the person living in the gutter? What is it you know uh, the who what is it like for the people who who are servants to the higher upper classes on Tarsons? Yeah, so that, because yeah, there's a lot of interest shown to class systems in the book. I. <laughs> I yeah. think like what's really interesting is, you know, like Nova is really 
is really sympathetic towards like you know her her father's um servants and like how they're eating and like you know who's working yeah the novel is very interesting like who's working in the factories and um you know like and and i think that's really interesting because it's it's a it's really pointed what goes on um in there so yeah it's really interesting um you know speaking of of many of these characters that you're talking about uh and and going more into their lives a thing we notice about this book is just that there are a lot of characters in this (laughs) book um and it is to our great pleasure because we get to because every week we pick up this book and we get to uh meet some new people but uh do you how do you think about adding new characters and how many characters are the the right number for the book in total do you think about that i not not as much as i should probably i uh, (laughs) (laughs) um i i'm always interested in the different perspectives and and one of the fun things in particular about writing prose uh more than any other medium is one where you can get inside a character's head which you can't really do in any other storytelling medium to the same degree um, so I often like having lots of different characters and lots of different perspectives just because I think it, it makes the story more interesting. Um, you know, getting to, uh, getting to see the, 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 how different people respond to what's going on. Uh, you know, it's all, I mean, it's what, it's one thing to be inside Nova's head, but what's it like in the head of one of Fagan's other hench people? What's it like for, you know, for the guy hunting her in, in Kalerchian? Um, what is it like for the for the servants, for the stewards, for the other rich people, for, you know, the, the, the different perspectives is, is to my mind makes the story more interesting. And also I just, I just, you know, I'm interested in people and, and the world is populated by a lot of people. And, and I, I think it makes for a better story if, especially if you're doing a story on that, that takes place in a bunch of different places um, and involves a lot of people uh that that getting those different perspectives is is more valuable and makes it makes the story more get more textured hmm. uh yeah no i mean that's something we noticed every single time we 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 pick up this book and and the perspective shifts again and we go oh here's someone here's someone new we're about to meet that's a not uncommon uh uh aspect of of this of this reading session Spe- speaking speaking of i thought it might be fun and I, to whatever extent you re- you remember this would be to ask you sort of maybe where a couple of these characters came from because there's there's several of them that are sort of special in our hearts um uh we are are in particular uh a little bit um too obsessed with the character of Handy Anderson who is the head of UNN um, who, who, as far as we can tell, is a sort of uh, shadow puppet figure, uh, or rather, uh, the the puppet master figure uh, behind the scenes running all of Tarsanus, is our vague guess at this, based on the extent to which UNN news network broadcasts are ubiquitously the sing, seem to be the only source of information that any character uh, in the world of StarCraft ghost nova uses to get information about what's going on do you remember did did you come up with handy anderson or, or was that someone else no that he was he was an existing character that i was using um okay and he's appeared, and, and that character has appeared elsewhere uh and i just co-opted him uh for the purposes of the, of, of the book um but no he yeah no i uh i did not come up with him he was an existing starcraft character okay all right 
yeah, he's he's he he continues to come up in sort of conspiracy theories about the nature of the true power center in Tarsanus. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was me making use of one of one of the many existing StarCraft characters. Do you did you come up with Constantino Terra? Um, I, I named him. Um. But uh, at least I think I did. Um, I mean, it was it was already established that uh, she had a father. Obviously, um, I think a lot of his personality I came up with. He didn't really. He was just you know the father who was killed. Um, so so I I came up with with uh, a lot of a lot of the characterization of him. I'm pretty sure that was me. Um, um Davey, do you have a copy of your Constantino song for Keith? Or oh my goodness. Uh... <laughs> Uh, hang on. Do I have the? Uh, I think you should. Uh, be, uh, Jesus, hang on. You put me on this. We should have told me this before so that I could cue it up. I just suddenly realized that we had made an entire song about Constantino. I oh good lord. I made okay. I made a song about Constantino and and we set it to the and I set it to the uh, the tune of the song Despacito. Um, <laughs> Uh, how does it here? I'll try and remember it from from top of my head. Here in a bitter world of sin and war, uh, something we need something to keep fighting for and remind us what's fighting for. But uh, wait, but there's a man who knows how things should be and how to sing and dance and just be free. The world needs a hero such as he, Constantino. Uh, <laughs> uh, an Eleftheria is his queen. Oh. Uh, uh, something. Anyway, is that was there was more of it. I I I need to go back. We'll clip out our uh, my yeah. My... We should send it to you and get your immediate That's responses. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is he, Constantino was very much a uh, a favorite of ours, and since it was pretty clear early on that he was going to die, we spent uh, there was a, <laughs> there was a considerable portion of the podcast which was kind of Constantino death watch. Um, is, is this going to be the week? And, and then it happened and we were sad about yeah. it. Um, yeah. cause he, cause he, and again, we're, we're way in the weeds, but he, Constantino was this, was this guy who is portrayed as being a kind of benevolent bureaucratic type. Like he's kind of, of the people he keeps doing these things that are sort of nicer to the common person than most big, uh, business owners rich old you know company family people ought to be and then at the same time he keeps getting blamed for all of the bad things that happen in tarsanus as a result of the old families so we were a little he we were unclear exactly is constantino being put up to all this by someone or what that was a wild time in the podcast for us yeah um so like uh, if you could have one person play constantino like an actor, who would it be? Oh God, um, I, I, I don't know. Because um, I was thinking James Gandolfini, obviously R.I.P., but like he would have been fantastic at Constantino. Yeah. yeah okay. Um. I. I. Yeah. That would work. I could I, see I, that. I think there was a there was a description somewhere of Constantino on a wiki that gave him like sandy blonde hair and a mustache and that put a kind of like robert redford image in my head oh yeah. yeah yeah and and he can do that that sort of world weary 
tired old man thing that, that I think would have to be a part of, of playing the role. Yeah. yeah. Wait, did you invent Garth Duke? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so, just because that doesn't sound like a name I'd have come up with. <laughs> because Garth Duke apparently gets in the giant cocktail and start and takes off all his clothes and starts, you know, 100% percent Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, I I see that seems I that that looks like that seems like that I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that he's somebody I, I was an existing character. Get, taking your clothes off and swimming through the party punch bowl does seem like a character I would create. So uh, well, yeah, and and I it it is also possible that the 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 Duke family. Yeah, no, the, the yeah the Duke family definitely were, were pre-existing. Part of it. I may I, yeah. I I I may have made up uh, Garth. We enjoyed him very much. Was already was already was was part of the back, the existing backstory. Well, there, there's so many again again just to come just to reiterate there are many characters in this book and we frequently find ourselves thinking there's no way that Blizzard you know had said you know had came came to Keith with you know. Well, let's walk through all of the Duke scions and all of their business. So, you know, we we generally give we generally err on the side of this was probably Keith um, uh, when it uh, comes to those small things. Uh, you you almost I almost certainly you came up with Fagin. I'm yes, yes yes yes. So Fagin so Fagin is obviously his name is a Dickens reference. Yes and. Uh, and, and, and it's not really the only reference to like classic literature in the book. There's that the book is actually like full of all of these various, uh, little references to that. Some, sometimes it's called old earth, uh, uh, art references in the book. Uh, Mm -hmm. how, how much of that was stuff that you, said i want i want the starcraft world to be a place that still references really old pieces of literature from back in our real world earth day i think at least some of it uh was was part of the existing backstory was was that a lot of the the wealthier members of tarsonis uh had a reverence for for stuff on earth but vegan um, isn't one of the old oh right yeah no that's true um i that I, i'm not sure that's one I can't. I can't tell you. Fifteen years later, whose idea that was? Probably mine, just because Fagin was pretty much entirely me. Um, so, uh, that, I think that may have been just something I did just to to make him a little uh, more relatable to to the the two thousand five audience reading it. Yeah, know. I mean, Keith, do you ever do you ever with respect to Dickens and all of these classical things that you? you write about in the book, like, um, do you ever feel a bit like Beethoven trying to reinterpret a Britney Spears song? Like, do you ever feel like, like the video game kind of novelization world is a little bit like, it's one of those, those things where you're like, well, what they've given me isn't great, but I could probably try to make it batter in some ways like is that you know really? you're trying I, to instill it with some kind of i don't know i feel like there's a lot of stuff that you put in the book that is like probably not stuff that video game people are familiar with like dickens 
not really. I just that that's just stuff I like putting in there. I and mean, I think it's more of the fact that I, you know, I'm a recovering English major. Um and uh, yeah. and I Who like putting it? in stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, they they you are a, a person and admittedly a fan of William Butler Yeats being uh given a novelization of, of a video game where uh a woman blows up aliens with her guns and mind. So yeah. I I think that at, at the end of the day, that's the nature of the that's the sensibility that really comes out in this book for us. Yeah. Um Well, I'm not saying that it's like it's not like it's not a lower form of art. It's actually just a kind of different way of doing stuff, right? Because I feel like, you know, Shakespeare, I think if Shakespeare were alive today, he would like blowing stuff up. I mean, Titus <laughs> Andronicus, 100%, like yeah. that is just a violent B movie of a play. So yeah. what's really interesting is like how these kind of inspirations work their way into stuff that is seen as like lesser art. And I think video games are seen as a kind of lesser art, even now, even though I feel like they're quite sophisticated in lots of ways. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I think it's so interesting the way that we kind of try and make these things relatable, like you say, because, you know, having this character called Fagin, obviously he's already, kind of like a character in our collective imaginations anyway so it's easier to try and like pick up the line of like who fagin is that way and and it also it's it's a good shorthand and also uh it's sort of hanging a lantern on the fact that he is basically the same character as fagin um so let's lean into it <laughs> right um yes i'm i'm totally stealing this character type from archetype from dickens um and i'm gonna you know show that i know where i know exactly where i stole it from except um, i feel like in the dickens he didn't have shark teeth well no i'm still i'm i'm adjusting it for you know for i really love the idea yeah. of him sharpening his teeth i think that's yeah. amazing uh yeah, i still wanted him to be appropriate for the for the world in which we're you know in which this takes place. Yeah, and like he's really ahead of his time. You know, he takes on all these lovers and he's like not really he doesn't really care what gender they are as long as they're like completely like just whatever you want, Fagin, you know. Yeah. That was yeah, that talk about talk about subject matter that was not hot in AAA video gaming in uh 2005. <laughs> um just just to kind of keep digging further into a couple things here. Nova is a big fan of framberries. Framberries come up again and again throughout this book. Fram as far as we know, framberries are a real thing, but they're like a genetically modified fruit. Do you remember where Nova being a fan of framberries came from? Ah, uh, I think that was just something I threw in there as a character trait. Are they the uh, framberries are a real berry though? They're not. You didn't invent those for Starcraft, are they? Okay. I didn't. Uh, but that's where that's our question. That's what we've been trying to figure out. Hell, if I remember, um, I thought I made them up because we thought that framberries was made up, and then we looked it up, and it's like there's like a real thing called a framberry. Oh, you know what? Oh, uh, yeah, that's it's a mixture. Yeah, I may have, I may have, uh, I may have pulled it from that. That it was something that, uh, yeah. Probably I, I I looked it up and and thought, hey, that's a cool thing to do. Um, Be because there is a there is a StarCraft wiki entry on Framberries, whose only reference is StarCraft Ghost Nova. So you are you know adding small little bits to the lore by but with those little decisions. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I was trying to come up with things that would uh, um, just, just add a little texture to the character. Do you remember uh, coming up with padball, the sort of rich people sport that 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 uh, like the StarCraft equivalent of 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 polo or something? That yeah, that... that I I I don't remember where that came from. I probably made it up, um, but I don't I don't remember. Do you, do you feel comfortable giving us any sense of of how padball is played? Do oh, I have any... no idea. I, okay. I, I just, I just came up with the name and it just, it sounded like something snooty. Um, Perfect. Cause again, yeah. padball did turn out to be a, a real thing that is like an Argentinian fusion sport. So, mm. but, but, but that didn't happen until after that didn't happen until like 2008. So for all yeah, we know, so we thought that you had invented it and then it became real after. That would be hilarious if, if that is the case. That um, would be ideal in my mind. So yeah uh let me i i want to run a couple of of specific little um sections of the book by you and just get your hang on i'm just i'm i i'm just looking up uh uh, okay no i may have grandma yeah it looks like other people picked up on it um yeah i didn't uh i'm pretty sure i made it up but uh other people uh ran with it it's it's it looks like it's used in uh, StarCraft II, and uh, Graham McNeil used it in his uh, novel I Minsk. Oh, perfect. Keith, like, I, think- I don't know if you're aware of like how much you wrote in this book that became like proper like canon lore. Like a lot of stuff that you made up in the StarCraft wiki is actually like being used today in Blizzard lore. <laughs> okay. And it's, yeah, and it's, like, every time we look something up, there's a lot of, like, you were the first person to come up with that stuff, and... Well, uh, I mean, that happens a lot in a, yeah, when you're doing any kind of shared universe like this, um, that will happen, you know, people... Yeah. And and there's a bunch of things that were in there that I pulled from some of the other novels, um, including, like, Handy Anderson, for example. I was, you know, that was a case of, of me using an existing character, um, it's all fair game, you know, it's all yeah. part of the, of the universe and, and Blizzard in particular is very aggressive at wanting the universe to be as internally consistent as humanly possible. Um, so is there an internal wiki that you have access to or no? At the time there was not, there probably is one now. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is, is much differently done now than it was 15 years ago. Um, the, the wikis didn't really exist. Uh, was it just a giant binder back then? <laughs> um, that was a PDF full of, of stuff, but um, uh, right. Uh, I think I, I suspect it's more organized now. Um, yeah, but well, they I don't probably know honestly that. just use that fan wiki. <laughs> I mean, I'm not possibly. I I don't know. I'm not joking. Um, Mostly, that's what video game developers do yeah. these days. <laughs> Well, yeah, when I, I when I did my Alien novel in 2019, one of the people who gave me notes was a fan who had put a, a timeline together who 20th Century Fox hired um, because <laughs> he'd done such a good job uh, of, of doing that timeline. And it was like, well, let's let's pay the guy and make use of him. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I am curious. I have a couple passages that uh, I would like to run by 2021 Keith and, and get <laughs> get a lens, get a lens, a little bit of a lens on them. I'm not asking for for too much here, but I am curious just what your 
what your gut take on this, on these are. So this is from uh, page 111 of Starcraft Ghost Nova. And uh, Malcolm is talking with Larry, his compatriot inside the Tarsanus police force. Uh, and and uh, and this go and this says um, again. Larry nodded. Yeah, I can understand that. It's like a needle in a haystack. And then Malcolm replies, "What's so hard about finding a needle in a haystack? Just run a magnet over the haystack. The needle will pop right out." As always, when Mal pointed that out to someone, Larry got a confused look on his jowly face. Then it brightened, as if he'd just received enlightenment. Hey, yeah, that would work. Um, I have to ask, is that true? Can you run a magnet over a haystack and the needle will pop out of the haystack? Strong enough magnet, sure. How strong of a magnet? Well, it depends on how deeply the needle's buried and how strong the magnet is. I mean, it's not a perfect solution, but it's a, it's a lot easier than just digging around through the damn haystack. Yeah, it depends on what the needle is made of. Yeah, yeah, probably. But I've never actually tested the theory. I just like mentioning that you know to people to to make their heads explode. Um, Do you do that in real life? uh, I've been known to. Yeah, you have done that in real life. Okay, so this is so this is Malcolm is a cipher for for you through this. (laughs) Oh my god, I love Malcolm so much. Does anyone push back on you when you mention that? Does anyone ever investigate that with you? Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. All right. Well, I'm proud to be the first to interrogate that specific (laughs) Keithism. All right. I've used that a couple of other times since, including in one, including in my leverage novel. Um, oh my god, you've used it in other novels. Maybe this is Davy. So this is how we get to the next book as we just follow the Keith line of follow the magnet. The magnet. <laughs> yeah. Follow the magnet. So like the that's magnet. what we're doing. If you if you take all of the magnet haystack passages from all of <laughs> Keith's books and print them one after the other in chronological order, the secret sure Keith lore unfolds i think i've only used it the twi- those two times i may be wrong but if you uh, put both passages <laughs> back to back it's the secret of the universe uh i am so pleased that that's a real thing that you have said before in yes. the world and also yep. in other books um uh, I have another one here that I'm curious. Now, this one, this one is a bit of a reach. All right, but I have to, have to have to ask. All right, Nova has blown up her. Her. This is on page seventy-two of the two thousand six novel Starcraft Ghost Nova, and uh, Nova has just blown up her family. She's in the gutter. She's totally. She's uh, hearing all of the voices, and she's very despondent, and she's thinking back on it. And she's now remembering all the voices of the people uh, that that she whose minds she read right before she blew them up, and and this passage goes, she heard one servant Maya wondering if die wonder if dying would hurt, another Natal hated that he'd never see his mother again, one of the killers Adam didn't care about the revolutionary sentiments of Cliff Nadanner, the man who'd ordered who'd ordered them to do this horrible thing, he just enjoyed killing people. Another one, named Tish, was looking forward to living in a world where all the old families were dead so the common folk could rule the world like it was supposed to be. 
A third, Jeffrey, was scared that they'd be caught and put in jail, a concept that frightened Jeffrey to his very core. Um, it's a bit of an understatement to say that we have unpacked this last sentence uh, a, a tremendous amount because the idea of a man, first off, a, a, a terrorist named Jeffrey is hilarious. And okay. secondly, you're like so in love with your naming convention. Like we are completely obsessed with like, like gangsters called Terrence you, and Jeffrey <laughs> and Marcus, like all of your terror and Adam, all of your cutthroat killers have the most pedestrian names. Oh, um, yeah. We're like so just... into the fact that they're all at like a private school somewhere and they're like going to like henchman school or something. Yeah. So I have to ask, uh, Jeffrey was scared that they'd be caught and put in jail, a concept that frightened Jeffrey to his very core. How is Jeffrey a terrorist blowing up, killing people in this tower if he's frightened to his very core of going to jail. He does, is, he's, he, he's got a phobia of enclosed spaces. Enclosed spaces? Yeah. But he... Wait. He, he doesn't want to go to jail because he doesn't like small spaces, Davey. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. He doesn't... He's not afraid... But then why is he a terrorist? Well, because he believes in the cause. Oh. Okay, I'm going to tell you... I'm going to tell you a wonderful story that, that, that uh, actually happened... Uh, in Baltimore in the late 80s, right. um, where they caught a guy who, who killed somebody in a restaurant. Uh, he walked to the restaurant, shot the guy, and then took uh, a mint off the table and left a dollar for the mint. And they caught him, and the cops asked him, you know, why did you pay a dollar for the mint? And the guy looked at him and he said, I'm, not, I'm no thief. Hmm. He just killed a guy. Right. In, in broad daylight, in front of tons of witnesses, and didn't have any problem with that, but he wasn't about to steal a mint. That would be wrong. People can contain the most ridiculous, contradictory thoughts in their heads. And also, fears override everything. Um, but also, but also if, if you can avoid the thing that you're afraid of, the rest of your life goes on as normal. Jeffrey still believes in what they're doing. He's just scared of going to jail. Okay, but but, like important, my... but importantly, he believes in the cause. That's that's yeah. the critical part here. Yeah, yeah. I feel like my, like I don't know. Jeffrey's gone up in my estimation. Yeah, I I like genuinely feel like Jeffrey. I think maybe Jeffrey might be our favorite character, Davy. Be because be because given that given that you go into the specifics of the other terrorists' interests in being here, Jeffrey was left a real kind of like blank spot for us in terms of his motivation in being here. And there's a lot of things that can fill that space. And and I and in some ways he and in some ways that that contradiction that you're talking about makes him feel like one of the most nuanced and real types of people to us. Uh, that's that's there's so much humanity in in that contradiction to such an extreme and uh, i think we both appreciate that very much um i'm so happy to get to hear more about jeffrey thank you very much for that um uh we have another sort of question here and and i i saw you mentioned in your intro that uh that you took some of that that you were inspired by some of the uh telepathy from other other books that you'd read and, and oh, other yeah. pieces of media um uh 
specifically, it seems like when Nova reads someone's mind, she seems to know all things that they think about everything. So, for example, on page 127, uh, Nova uh, is able to disarm Terrence's gun by reading his mind to con- to learn how the gun works. Now, either Nova can plumb the depths of all knowledge about all things a person is thinking about, or at that specific moment, Terrence was thinking of a very specific blueprint of how exactly the jamming me- or the, the mechanism in his gun works. Uh, can you clarify kind of the, the nature of that, of her telepathy? Um, that, that was uh, mainly just to indicate how incredibly powerful she is. She's She's... And that, that was an established part of the character that it was handed to me, is that she is uh, the most powerful telepath in, in the Terran Dominion. Um, and she is capable of pulling that specific information out of somebody's head if she needs it. Um, it being, it was probably close to the surface, so to speak, it, uh, because he was wielding the gun at the time. Um, but uh, any uh, somebody who's actually good with a weapon will know how it works. Um, because he or she will have taken it apart and, and um, uh, put it back together again to clean it. Um, at least you hope so. That uh, in this particular case, yeah, that, that that was to show how, like I said, how powerful she is. So she's so capable of like, you know, rifling through a library of thoughts, basically. Pretty much. Right. Especially if, if she's, you know. If she wanted Terrence's 24th birthday party memories, she could grab that as well. I guess, yeah. Sure. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, yeah, no, we were just, that one was always, that one was always, we were, we were, we were always trying to figure that one out a little bit. Um, I've, I've just got one more passage here that I'm curious about. And we, we, we ran with this one for a while. This is from page 138 where Fagan is, uh, taking traffic sensors from, or borrowing traffic sensors from the TPF. Um, uh, and it, and this reads, the sensors were used by the cops to monitor vehicular traffic. On those rare occasions when they used them, it was mainly to extort fines out of kids on hover bikes or to nail the bus drivers who were so drunk or stoned that they couldn't drive straight, which was about half of them. Now, half of bus, half of all bus drivers being so drunk or stoned they can't drive straight seems like a lot of bus drivers not driving straight. Um, yes. it, it paints a very chaotic image of being on the streets of Tarsanis. Yep. Is that, is it just that chaotic and constantly dangerous in the ground floor on Tarsanis? Uh, yeah, that's, why do you think there are people who are trying to kill the old families? Um, you know, that, the, the, that level of terrorism of, of the types who, who attacked Nova's uh, family, that they don't grow in a vacuum. Um, there's, there's good reasons for, for why they felt that way and good reasons why Mengsk was able to foment his own revolution is because people were very unhappy. Uh, a plurality of people were unhappy with the way things were. Not that Mengsk was any better, but, um, but he could present himself as being better at the very least. Um, and, and that would mean, you know, life has to be pretty damn crappy, uh, for there to be a revolution in the first place. So, I mean, who, so the bus driver, is it like a, you know, is it a social engineering program? Is it like, you know, people are, because I imagine people who are taking the 50% of the buses who, I mean, it's likely these buses are crashing, right? 
Some of them, yeah. Or at the very least, getting into accidents and... Yeah. So I imagine, like, you know, people are really taking their lives into their hands when they take a bus. Probably, yes. But it's, yeah. it's for a lot of them, it's the only way to get to work. Right. And so, like, we were imagining, you know, these these people who are are uh, bus drivers... I, mean, people, I, mean, I, I, I live in New York. There were people last last year who were taking their lives into their hands every time they got on the subway because there was a pandemic, but they had to go to work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But these bus, these bus drivers are essentially, I mean, they're, they're drunk and stoned. Is this because of the, uh, the nature of the gutter or is it the nature of the recruitment program? Like what is, is it, is it some, is there something about being a bus driver that attracts a drunken stoned contingency more so than other service jobs? Uh, no, not necessarily. It just, they, endanger more people um the uh, <laughs> uh they they're it's just it's a it's a crappy job and when and most of the people down there have crappy lives and they're just doing what they can to survive their so is it life. fair to say that maybe 50 percent of most on the ground service jobs are being employed by people who may not be all all there for what they're awesome. doing yeah Okay. All right. All right. That's a, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good perspective for us. See, I told you, Davey, that like, it was all about the class system. Yep. Yeah. No, no. So Keith, just for your, for full disclosure here, we posited a sort of system uh, where Tarsanus was employing a kind of party bus service uh, for its, for its, um, you know, uh, street level transportation where all buses are actually, actually drug and alcohol filled party buses and that the drivers are just so uh uh you know tempted constantly by the offerings of the party bus that the buses are inherently very dangerous um, i wasn't thinking anything that pleasant <laughs> you know yeah you know we it, it definitely after a certain amount of uh investigation of the oppression of the social class system a party bus uh was uh i think appealing for us to to uh fantasize about for a second um yeah. is and maybe that's that leads into another good question here which is what is the social message of starcraft ghost nova in your opinion um uh, <laughs> it it's it's one that actually uh is is just as it is if anything more so uh in the years since it came out um it's oppression is very easy um and it's very easy for people who have a lot to not pay attention to those who don't and to take more and more away from them. And sooner or later, when you take stuff away from people, they're going to fight back. Um, you know, I, the, the, the setup was already there. Uh, I, what I wanted to do with this was show, you know, the ground level consequences to the oligarchy for all intents and purposes. That was, um, you know, the, the, was this world that was this uh the 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 human worlds the human colonial worlds the before manx took over um that you know that it was it was oppressive and you know when when that happens uh you know people like i said people fight back 
relevant. Relevant for sure. sure. And I certainly don't think it's a given that one, that uh, any writer would take the, that, that those basic building blocks and go in that specific direction with it. So that's, that's Confederacy was an oligarchy and it was, it was not a nice one. Yeah. Um, And it was one that oppressed people. uh, Do you think that Blizzard, do you you think that Blizzard uh, knew they were employing an anarchist? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were implying I'm not someone. An anarchy who... <laughs> at all. Uh, no, anarchy's bad. Anarchy means people don't get food. Um, uh, no, no anar- not, anarchists I'm... just don't like hierarchies. I don't think they're not. No, I have no problem with hierarchies, but hi- but hi- there's a very hierarchy. Humans tend toward hierarchy. It's it's pretty much impossible to avoid. Um, it's it's when you cross the line from hierarchy to oppression that there's a problem. Um, hierarchies can be very beneficial. Uh, you know, they, they, they provide a certain level of order, um, and, and structure, which is, which enables us to survive in a lot of ways. Um, but it can be taken too far, which is what, which is the case with, with the Terran Confederacy is, uh, you know, and it was taken to its extreme, um, where, where, you know, it's, it's not just people having greater responsibility people on top of the hierarchy have greater responsibility than uh, people lower on it, but also have more power over it and wielding that power unfairly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because Blizzard clearly we're making a game about, you know, a dystopian future where the Terran race were actually just a militaristic kind of dictatorship. And that's, that's really interesting considering that, you know, ultimately, you know, the human race in the, in their future is, is just that, you know, and is just ruled by these kind of, it's almost like a monarchy, right? Like, it, as you say, it's like yeah. an oligarchy. Um, so it's interesting, you know, that, that, that is the, that is the, the vision of the future for like that kind of blizzard brand is that particular yeah. kind of outlook. It's very cynical, definitely very cynical. Yeah. Well, yeah. Blizzard, Blizzard lately has not uh, exactly been a a uh, champion of of uh, of support for the oppressed. So uh, not been like a u- utopian view. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a great book for them to read about people rising up when things at the top start to get too hairy. So right. uh, I I think uh, I think I might slip Mr. Bobby Kodak uh, a little cop copy of starcraft ghost nova right um uh do you, keith do you have a favorite part of the book uh um off the top of my head no um i mean i i i i the part i think i enjoyed most was um just in general was uh writing the way uh Nova's telepathy affected her. I, I enjoyed that. Um, I one of the one of the books uh, I read that really had a big effect on me as a teenager was uh, *The Demolished Man* by Alfred Bester, which was about telepathy. Um, and uh, it it that and and reading X Men comics when I was a kid, um, both of those really uh, had a big influence on me and a big influence on on the writing of this book in particular. Um, it and and I enjoyed you know dealing with the cha- the chaos of all the different thoughts and and the different personalities you know those, those like the snippet that that you read aloud before of of the different flashes of, of each of the 
people in the building. I love stuff like that. I love, you know, getting quick insights into people. Um, yeah, my personal you know, they're, 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 favorite. Also, it, some, something that's always important to me is that there's no such thing as an innocent bystander or a faceless uh, soldier. Um, everybody is somebody's child, is somebody's parent, is somebody's cousin, is somebody's best friend. Um, and if somebody's going to die in one of my books, I want you to care who they are because there's somebody who does care who they are. Yeah, um, my my favorite is when um, she overhears like um, when like um, there's like always like someone who's like hungry in the room <laughs> yeah. because that would be me. I'm always hungry. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. No. No. I. I mean, honestly, like we've. I think that that's all uh, uh, made made the book really enjoyable for us because there are so many little details like that. There are so many things all over the place that we've enjoyed uh, digging into, and you've, you've you're very generous about small details in your writing. So it's made it very fun for us. Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to know if you're if you're proud of it. Like, are you? Like, do you, do people talk to you about this particular book, or are are there other books that you've written that people are really appreciative of? Oh, lots of them. I mean, I I don't get as much commentary on this as some of the others I've written, simply because StarCraft isn't as big a property as some of the others I've worked in. Um, you know, I get a lot more comments on my Star Trek novels, on my Supernatural novels, um, on, on my World of Warcraft novel, for that matter. Um, but uh, but every once in a while, I'll get you know somebody who who is a StarCraft fan who really liked the book, and that's very that's very gratifying. I'm very pleased with the book. I'm I'm I I really had a good time writing it, um, and and I'm very happy with how it turned out. Um, and I was I was glad I got to write a little Nova some more in in the first Ghost Academy manga that I wrote. Um, but uh, that it's 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 a fun it's a fun world, and it's it was a fun. I like the whole idea of the ghost program. I think it's a, it's a fascinating storytelling tool. Um, and, uh, and I, and I enjoyed working on it so that, yeah, it was, uh, it was tremendous fun. I don't, I don't get that many, uh, especially now, 15 years later, I don't get that many people talking about it, but, um, but the people, yeah, every once in a while, you know, every once in a while, someone makes a podcast where they reread the entirety of Starcraft ghost Nova just the once really so interesting so wow. keith wow. do you got you do you get royalties from these or no is it, it's like a buyout um no i i i do get royalties i i actually uh it depends the work for hire doesn't automatically mean no royalties that 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 is a myth that is persists for some reason um there are it is possible that you, you won't get royalties and and your royalty share is less than it would be for an original book um but uh, no, I do. Uh, I do get royalties for this uh, anytime somebody buys it. Uh, in fact, the World of Warcraft, the World of Warcraft book sold a lot more than this one did, and it stayed in print for a very long time. Um, and I still, every once in a while, get a small check. I used to get really big checks for the World of Warcraft. I've, I've made more money off that World of Warcraft book than any anything else I've written. Um, nice. But uh, Davy, how can we how can we get another print run of Starcraft Ghost Nova? That's ooh. what we should be asking ourselves. Uh, Let's get a hashtag going. Let's get yeah. everyone really, really riled up. Over Let's get this. Keith Rich this from this issue. book. In in this in this year, two thousand and twenty one, the big social issue that I want to champion and rally people behind uh, is uh, is is getting a reprint. That's the one that that society really needs today. Right. Um, Keith, what's we? I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have sort of one last kind of like closing question for you, which sure. is: we are 
we are on page 146, StarCraft Ghost Nova. We're about halfway through right now. And I'm wondering if you can suggest maybe a, a mantra for us or, a, or a, a thought or a takeaway for us to keep in mind as we go through the rest of the book. Is there a, is there some, is there a sentiment you would like to leave us with as we go into the back half? Um, uh, people you like are going to die. <laughs> this is very profound for I love uh, it. Just like in general. It's practical. That's already happened quite a bit in the book. Uh it doesn't get yeah. any better. It's, it's, it's practical, <laughs> it's direct, it's actionable, it's yeah. it's focused on the here and now and what's yeah. to come. I like it. I like yeah. it. Thank you. That's perfect. Um we uh have a little tradition here on the podcast of uh we we for every, we used to end every episode with a different William Butler Yeats quote. And then <laughs> as 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 it started as we started to get a little a little thin on applicable William Butler Yeats quotes, we began taking an individual quote and seeing how many weeks in a row it applies to what we read in, on that on that episode. Um, our first was think like a wise man, but communicate in the language of the people that lasted three weeks. And our current one is there are no strangers, only friends you have not met yet. And we're on eight weeks running of that because every single week uh, a new character gets introduced. And yeah. so it's so it, this one's continued going strong. And I'm going to mark this one as being our ninth because today we did make a new friend. And uh, that is, of course... Keith R.A. DeCandido, and we are very, very grateful that you came on our podcast and uh, talked with us and gave us your time and your insight and your remarkably good memory about things that happened. <laughs> I remembered more than ago. I thought I did. I would actually. Um, the the once I I looked at the the book again just to remember what what I did with the eight quotes, um, and the second coming was the perfect. Uh, template for this book because it, it's a it's a book about basically armageddon and armageddon is pretty much what happened I mean, even even leaving aside what happens to nova specifically the events of this are happening at the same time that tarsonis is basically completely overrun by the zerg so uh the death and destruction and and worlds coming to an end are very much what the novel is about and that's what that poem is about and i thought it was a perfect set of epigraphs to use for each section Oh, that's Perfect. really interesting. And it's, it's one of my favorite poems anyway, so. Great. Perfect. <gasps> so much Wonderful. insight. Great. We've learned, we've gained, we've learned so much today and I'm very grateful. Uh, um, happy to have helped. And, and we do. Honestly, uh, we... This, is, this is, this, the existence of this podcast is one of the three or four most flattering things I've ever encountered <laughs> in my career. Um, just that you guys are, are spending this much time on something I wrote is, is extremely gratifying and, and very flattering. Um, and, and I'm deeply touched and, and, and thank you for letting me come on and, and, and share this with you and, and, and provide some insights. And, and, you know, if you want me back on again, when you're finished with the book, if you have more questions, we would definitely love that. Yeah. We would do that. I think, I think I, we'll have a lot more questions as well. Probably. Yes. <laughs> I guarantee, however, however flattered you are, we are equally as much that you would join us here. So thank you very much. My uh, pleasure. It's a, it's very much a two way street, and we will. Uh, uh, I, I, I think we'll probably have a lot more to talk about uh, in the post if, if, page one hundred and forty six. 
if I may be permitted a moment to just do a little shameless plugging, Please. Um, if, if you want to find out more about me beyond this book, uh, my terrible website is decandido.net, which is my last name.net. If you search for Keith DeCandido on online, I'm the only one who'll turn up. Um, but uh, I'm very active on Facebook. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm active on Instagram. Uh, I have a blog at decandido.wordpress.com, where I post very regularly. I have a Patreon. Uh, where I post TV and movie reviews, excerpts from my work in progress, uh, vignettes featuring my original characters, and also cat pictures. Um, I have two very oh. photogenic cats. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I've been reading my short fiction, um, uh, which I started last year. It's called Crad COVID Readings. I started it uh, at the start of the lockdown just to give people something uh, to entertain them while they were stuck at home. Uh, and I've continued it into this year. Um, and... Uh, and uh, all that good stuff. Uh, I have lots of new books out um, and a thriller called Animal, which I wrote with Dr. Manish K. Batra, uh, which is about a serial killer who targets people who harm animals. Um, I, uh, uh, an alien, my alien novel, Isolation, came out in 2019. Um, I have an urban fantasy series that starts with The Furnace Sealed. You mentioned Dragon Precinct, and I mentioned it later. That's a whole series that has five novels out so far and a short story collection. And I'm working on the sixth novel right now and hoping to have it out in early 2022. I want to um, say Cthulhu Precinct? No. Uh, the There's uh, Dragon Precinct, Unicorn Precinct, Goblin Precinct, Griffin Precinct, Mermaid Precinct, and the forthcoming novels will be Phoenix Precinct and Manticore Precinct. Manticore Precinct. Oh I God. looked it up, and that's, I remember <gasps> seeing, I remember seeing Manticore Precinct. Davey, yeah, I I'll, really I'll be... want to read the Mermaid Precinct one. Can we do that one? Keith, are they in, are they serialized, or? Not or... really, they're, 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 I mean, they should be, ideally they should be read in that order, but each book stands on its own. Um, the, the characters progress from book to book, but each, each book is, is, has a beginning, middle, and end in, in its own story, so. And so what, so, Keith, like, honestly, like, how many books do you write per month? Oh, per month, only like one or two. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, I wish uh, I were no, here. That's, 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 it's, it's, it's not that. I, 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 I have been known to uh, write uh, a book in, in three weeks. I've done that a couple of times. What? Um, but usually, usually I take about two months to write a book. Oh my goodness. Keith, you're the most prolific writer I think I've ever spoken to. <laughs> I'm 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 but the next time we have you on, your uh plugging your list of things to plug is going to be wildly different than than your list uh today. It'll be a completely new set of books. At the very least, there's two projects I'm working on that I can't talk about right now, and hopefully by the time you have me on again, I'll be able to talk about it. So perfect. Oh, cool. Perfect. Well, uh it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. And uh, we usually end each episode um, by saying thanks, Keith, because uh, <laughs> that's because you're the one who makes it possible for us to do it. And this week we get the distinction of getting to say it in person. Uh, so thank yeah. you, Keith, thank for writing you, this Keith. book and uh, letting us uh, giving us this chance to make this cool podcast. Thank you. 